Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Betting Pros NFL podcast brought to you by PlayMGM. I'm your host, Dan Harris. You can find me on Twitter at DanHarris80. This is our last preseason episode, so we're going to cover two separate segments here to make sure that we cover everything that we need to. First, we're going to talk with David Purdom, a writer at ESPN Chalk. David and I are going to talk about some developments in the NFL betting markets, notably the ripple effect that Andrew Luck's retirement caused on some futures and anything else notable that he's seen. After that, we're going to talk to Adam Burke, a sports betting writer at bangthebook.com, and we're going to run down some of our favorite player future bets. Should be a fun show where we cover a lot of ground and get you ready for the start of the NFL season. So let's get started with David Purdom. David covers pretty much everything there is to cover about the gaming industry. And if you're at all interested in sports betting or really any type of gambling, then you've probably read his work either at ESPN or the plenty of other places that have been lucky enough to have him contribute. David, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So you've been covering the sports gambling arena for a while. When's the last time you've seen a preseason event, at least one this close to the season, that shook the betting markets like Andrew Luck's retirement? What a great question. Um, Or has there been? I mean, is this really kind of unprecedented? It's not unprecedented because any time you have a established starting quarterback, let alone one of the level of Andrew Luck, it makes a significant impact. Uh, on everything. I mean, starting quarterbacks are like starting pitchers in baseball. They are the most uh, valuable thing when it comes to the odds. So while I can't think of one right off the top of my head, I'm sure that it's happened in the past. I, I believe Michael Vick hurt his leg in, in, in preseason one year. So I'm sure that was uh, impactful. But anytime you have a player, especially as a quarterback, you're going to see widespread uh, impact just like we did with Luck. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that impact. Uh, how did sportsbooks handle bets on the Colts, first of all? So, like, for example, I think the consensus odds for their win total over-under was 9.5. I've seen some books have it at 10. And when I use consensus odds, that's the bettingpros.com consensus odds that takes into account a variety of sports books. So what did sportsbooks do with bettors who took the over on those bets? Are they just completely out of luck? Did they refund their money? No, they're out of, out of luck. Uh, those type things, uh, win season, win totals, are usually all bets or action, unless the team does not play the full amount of games on their original schedule. Of course, you know, they base the, their season win total odds on the schedule that they have at that time. So if a team was to have a game canceled or something like that, then they would be void. But a retirement for an individual player uh, is a tough break for the, anybody that bet the over. And, you know, 10, 9, and a half, uh, the number now, six and a half, seven. So pretty significant drop. And out of curiosity, how quickly are books able to adjust to the news? I mean, Schefter tweeted that out, you know, I don't know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock sometime on Saturday night. I mean, is there a guy who's running in there, sees Twitter, runs in and puts down a $20,000 bet or something like that on the Colts before they're able to react? Or is it like instantaneous? There was that situation at the Borgata over in New Jersey in Atlantic City, an MGM property. They were a little slow to react to it, and a better did get them bet the under on the Colts at the nine and a half wins. Uh, for a couple thousand dollars, if I remember correctly. But so they, that does happen, and books are always scared of that. Um, a lot of these guys, you know, this was like about in Las Vegas, it was about 6 30 uh, Saturday night. Everybody's watching Florida, Miami football. A lot of the odds makers and bookmakers, the primary ones, had left already. Um, I've heard stories of them being at dinner and getting a text and having to, you know, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, get a hold of everybody. Um, and they pretty much just yanked everything to do with the NFL off the board almost instantly the super bowl odds they're the quick fastest to update they can update those pretty quickly the pool size of money that's in that pool allows them to it's not going to kill them if they take a few bets they're going to be able to adjust but the point spread on the individual games um, your season win total bets your division odds all that stuff had to be taken down immediately and for the most part books did react except for those couple uh, the ones I mentioned at the Borgata that was a little slow. So do they take everything down or do they just take things that are going to be impacted by the Colts, like the teams in the AFC South and stuff like that? Well, they took it all down. They took it all down to start. Uh, like I said, the Super Bowl was the first thing to appear. 
Um, some books in the, uh, over in New Jersey had a win total up pretty quickly. Uh, but the guys at the Westgate Superbook who I was talking to uh, directly when this was all happening, they're like, we're just going to take it all down. We'll leave the Super Bowl. We'll get back to it tomorrow, and we'll start cleaning it up. And I think the process of... Uh, redoing something like that is kind of interesting. They start with the individual team's power rating. So they have a power rating on the Colts, and that power rating is used to generate the point spreads on the games and how many games they're favored and the probability of winning those games. That's how they produce the season win totals. Then they use the season win totals to predict the division odds and the conference odds and Super Bowl odds. So that's a little bit of a process when you're adjusting that many things, that many teams. Um, so that's how they start it. And how long are the odds down? Are they able to do all this rejiggering within a day or two? Yeah, they were up the next day, um, the next morning, uh, you know, middle, middle afternoon for, for uh, East Coast time. Um, they were, most of the books in Las Vegas were back up. Some were a little faster than others. Um, so it takes them as, as a process, but once they get it, they, you know, not only did they have to uh, change the Colts season win total, well, then everybody else, Colts opponents season win totals needed to be raised a little bit, whether just on the VIG or even by a whole half game. And then the AFC South opponents, well, now their odds to win that division ex- uh, increase significantly. And so in that case, so does their odds to win the AFC. So they had to do all that. It took a while. Um, most of them are up the next day. Do you have a sense of how much the odds specifically for the AFC South teams moved after the Lux, either to win the division or their over-under win totals or anything like that? You know, the Colts were the favorite, an odds-on favorite. They were laying money in the AFC South to win. Uh, and the other three teams were bunched in there, the Texans and uh, Tennessee. Uh, who am I missing? Uh, the Jaguars. Jaguars were all mixed in there. It completely flipped. The Colts went from the odds-on favorite to the biggest underdog in that division where the uh, Texans moved up to the top. They were the favorite. Some books had Jacksonville right there and Tennessee right there in the mix, too, but the Texans seemed to be the consensus favorite. So, yeah, the season win totals for their opponents would go up, and it would mainly be the juice on the over. So if a team was, uh, you know, eight-and-a-half wins and you had to put $120 to win 100, if you wanted to take over eight and a half wins. Well, now maybe that juice went to minus 125. So they just kind of tweaked it up a little bit, um, a lot of the opponents. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too, to see how that all unfolded. Yeah, I'm looking at the consensus odds. I mean, the Colts are the worst odds right now to win that division, and they were the clear favorites. It's basically plus 500 pretty much across the board, and the Texans are uh, about uh, plus 125 around there to win it. And how about the Colts for the Super Bowl? I mean, they were one of the favorites, right? I mean, they must have been top six or seven in the market. They must have dropped like a stone, right? Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, a second-tier contender there. You got the Patriots and the Chiefs and the Saints are probably the top tier. And then the Colts were right there next. They were anywhere from 12 to 15 to 1 when the news broke. By the time it all shuffled out, I saw them as high as 60 to 1, which is the same odds as the New York Jets. I mean, to think wow. that the Colts, who everybody thought you know were possible Super Bowl contenders, now have the same odds as the New York Jets, uh, that kind of tells the story right there. Well, I am a Jets fan, so I, I assume that that means that Vegas thinks they are going to win the Super Bowl because, like me, I mean, I think the Jets, obviously, have this in the back. And how about week one? Um, you know, they're they're at the Chargers, and I believe looking at it before the luck news because I was prepping for the season, it looked like I believe the Chargers were favored by about three, three and a half or something like that. I assume that that spread jumped significantly. Yeah, it was about three, three and a half. You know, uh, with Luck's kind of uncertainty, people were starting to take that game off the board. A couple of the books already had it down, weren't taking any wagers on it until they were trying to figure out uh, if Luck was going to play or not. Um, It was three and a half in some of the books that did keep it up. Um, It jumped to as high as nine and a half on a couple books and then kind of settled back at seven seems like to be the number right now. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, again, I personally, I I think that the Colts aren't going to be quite as bad as as people think. And I don't think people are jumping off. But I think, you know, Brissett's been taking a lot of first team reps in the preseason. So, you know, it's a downgrade, of course. Um, But I think that they're going to be certainly more than competitive and have a decent chance even to win the division. So let's move on away from the Colts because luck has done enough damage, basically, to all the odds. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, you follow the markets closely. What have you been seeing in terms of betting? on the Super Bowl? Is there a a team that the public seems to be all over or anything like that? 
Oh, yeah, it's probably not going to be surprising to you. That's the Cleveland Browns. Uh, there's a yeah. lot of hype on the Browns. The other team that's attracted a lot of betting interest, too, is the Bears. I'd put those teams uh, right together as the most popular bets in, in uh, Vegas sports books. And, you know, that's by the number of bets. So if you look at the amount of money, um, that's more on the favorites, the Patriots and the Chiefs. But just in terms of sheer volume of number of bets uh, to win the Super Bowl, for example, uh, the Browns and the Bears are one and two in a lot of books. So I understand the Browns, of course, because there's all this hype and you have Mayfield. Is the Browns because, you know, you've got the young Trubisky who people think are just going to take the next step? Or, or what's really driving that, do you think? I would say Chicago tourism to uh, Las Vegas during the cold winter. Uh, the Bears always seem to get a, a little bit of bump of in the offseason. Uh, I do think a lot of the Midwestern uh, folks make the trip to, to Vegas to get out of, uh, you know, uh, the cold weather. Um, there's one odds maker, his name's Alan Berg. He's at Caesars Palace, and he's a huge Bears fan. And he's been doing this for about 15 years in Las Vegas. And he says every time the Bears get to the playoffs the next year, the betting on them is just ferocious, just comes out from everywhere. So uh, there's a passionate ba uh, fan base for the Bears. And anytime they see hope, they're, they're willing to back their team. And I'll add, um, you know, the two most popular bets to win the NFL MVP in Las Vegas also happen to be Baker Mayfield and Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky was 200 to one at one time at Caesars. He's all the way down to 50 to one, wow. even lower at some place, I believe, is all the way down to 22 to one, which puts him in the same range as Tom Brady. So that's how uh, delusional, I, I guess, some of the Bears faithful are. And again, you mentioned the number of bets. So I assume that part of what is happening here is it, it's mostly the public, right? It's not the sharp bettors, the people who essentially do this for a living. This is people who are basically public and perhaps not quite as sophisticated as the people who do this for a living. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. Um, you don't get a lot of the sharper players uh, betting futures uh, in the preseason, don't want to tie up their bankroll for that long of time. Uh, they will grab some prices during the season that they think are, uh, you know, have some value to them that maybe they can hedge out of a, a little bit if they get to a point. Um, but during the preseason, the bulk of the money bet on the Super Bowl is from your betting public. All right. Well, I think all of this, frankly, is pretty fascinating. Let's hope for your sake that nothing really changes between now and week one. Or maybe for your sake, frankly, let's hope it does. So you'll have a lot more to talk about. I'm sure Luck uh, sort of uh, gave you quite a bit of material to uh, write about. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was a wild, wild week. And there's something more interesting before we go here. Um, there always seems to be people that have the information early. And there was several sports books that reported taking what were limit bets at the time five thousand dollars limit bets on the season win total under in the days leading up to this it's always amazing how there always seems to be the betting market always seems to know a little bit before everybody else you know i i do actually want to have one follow-up on that because i have been wondering about it the people who set the odds basically are more connected i would assume and know more about football and more connected than almost anybody else in the world. So I was a little almost surprised that more people didn't sort of see this coming. I mean, the, the people who you're a connected guy, the people who set the odds, they must have sources everywhere, don't they? Or are they just people who are incredibly knowledgeable about football? It's always the betters. The betters know first. The odds makers are sitting there doing the same thing you and I are doing on Twitter, following the beat riders, just kind of keeping track. But every once in a while, they'll find a bet that's unusual. There was one in the case like that, a $5,000 limit bet on the Colts under that came out of nowhere uh, on that evening. Uh, what was that, Saturday night? Yeah. And they kind of, hmm, what's going on here? And they, they, they were kind of hesitant, and they reviewed it and stuff like that. And this happens, you know, over and over and over, whenever there is a uh, kind of a quiet injury that nobody hears about, and all of a sudden the quarterback from Akron or somebody is out, the odds makers will learn from the betters because the betters will come up there and they'll start to go and they'll be what's going on and then they'll start looking around and some of the betters will actually try to do a courtesy for the books to kind of stay in the good graces of the bookmakers and say, hey, I just bet this because this quarterback is out. So the betters always know before the bookmakers. Man, it's such a fascinating market. I, I'm so glad that things are it's legal now and that more states continue to legalize sports betting because it's really it's a fascinating industry. I'm really jealous of the fact that you get to cover it and have such sort of inside knowledge. So I, I really, really appreciate you joining me. I hope you will come back again during the season and we can talk more about trends that we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. Before we move on to our next segment, I want to briefly mention one of our sponsors, PlayMGM, and specifically the PlayMGM Sports app. As I said earlier, this is our last preseason episode. Starting next week, we're going to be looking at weekly spreads and money lines. And if you're in New Jersey and you want to place a bet on week one of the NFL or on any sporting event, really, then the place to do that is on the PlayMGM Sports app. Just search your app store for PlayMGM Sports. It's going to pop right up and just download it. And look, being able to bet on sports straight from your phone is awesome and convenient. But if you sign up to PlayMGM Sports and you use our offer code HARRIS, then not only can you bet on sports from your phone, but your first wager of up to $100 is risk-free. Seriously, use our promo code. Place a wager of $25 or more on your first bet. And if you lose, PlayMGM is going to credit your account up to $100 in cash. Again, that's promo code Harris, as in Franco Harris, or Neil Patrick Harris, or noted physicist John Harris. He's actually a pretty cool dude, but I digress. You must be 21 years or older, and although you can sign up and easily deposit money anywhere, you must be in the state of New Jersey to place a sports bet. Visit PlayMGM.com for the full list of terms and conditions. And if you've got a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, here to join me to break down some player futures is Adam Burke. He's a sports betting writer at bangthebook.com and host of Bang the Book Radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Adam, thanks so much for joining me today. How's it going? It's going well. How's everything going for you? Not bad, buddy. So can you do me a favor and just explain your Twitter handle here? Because on your bio, I see that it says that Corey Kluber told you that it was great. So I need to know a little bit more about it. Yeah, so my Twitter handle uh, used to be part of a beer league hockey team with some guys that were actually a little bit older than me. Uh, the team has since disbanded, but I kind of took over the name for myself. It's my email address. It's my uh, Twitter account. But yeah, we were a uh, quasi-hockey team, more of a drinking team. We, we had a whole lot of fun with that. And uh, our logo was actually a shocker for anyone that's familiar with those. So, uh, um, you know, we had a lot of great times, but we were the skating tripods. And the Corey Kluber thing... Um, the old social media guy for the Indians did one of those mean tweets type things. Yep. Um, and I had, he used one of my tweets and Corey Kluber actually read it. It wasn't mean or anything like that. Uh, but Corey Kluber said that I had a great Twitter handle. So I just, I guess that's my claim to fame. I mean, that's, that's got to be like a top five moment in life. At least it would be for me. And I'm not even an Indians fan. I assume you are. You're from Cleveland. I am. I'm a Cleveland uh, born and bred. And, you know, it's uh, it's a very exciting time here, not just with the Indians and the, you know, thick of the wild card hunt and maybe the division, but uh, especially the Cleveland Browns and, you know, how they just look like a, a dramatically different team than they were a couple of years ago. Yeah. Earlier on, we had on David Burnham and he said that the, the biggest bets that are coming in uh, generally throughout sports books for the Super Bowl are on the Browns and for MVP is, of course, Baker Mayfield. So, you know, at least the public's got your back. Um, I don't know. Out of curiosity, how are you feeling about them as somebody who's, you know, a little more experienced than the public? Are you willing to wager some money on them to win the Super Bowl and or for Baker to win the MVP? Well, I, I will say this. I mean, anytime the Indians, Browns, Cavs, whoever is playing on national TV, you get that montage of all the times that Cleveland sports have had devastating heartbreaks. So, you know, I'm a little bit jaded here. And look, I mean, obviously, I love the personnel. I think they're very, very talented. The schedule's brutal. I mean, their schedule is it not is. easy at all whatsoever. This got to a point where they got overhyped. And now people are kind of going contrarian, kind of going against them a little bit. Uh, when I took a look at their season win total, I think it was around it was nine wins, but their expected wins based on the look ahead spreads was about eight point six wins. So I agree with that. I kind of lean a little bit to the under for their season win total. But obviously, I'm hoping for the best and I'm hoping that you know, everybody of consequence stays healthy because that may define the race in the AFC North. I mean, that division is always just a battle. You know, that's the thing. The Steelers are going to be solid. The Ravens are going to be solid. It's going to be an interesting division for sure. But yeah, their schedule is certainly tough. So it is going to be an interesting year. I have talked about this on earlier podcasts. I've tried to find reasons to fade them as much as I can, but it it's difficult for me because on, on paper, I am really buying exactly what they're doing now. I don't think necessarily that they should be the overwhelming, uh, you know, that, you know, it's public. It's the public betting. I'm sure the Sharps are not the ones who are necessarily in on the Browns the whole time, but certainly the public is getting there. And frankly, you know, I, I'm not going to be all that surprised if it comes through. But uh, you, as as someone who's lived your life uh, in Cleveland sports, I'm sure are a bit more pessimistic as I am as somebody who's a Mets and a Jets fan. I, I kind of... Uh, Refuse to be optimistic. It's one of those things. And look, I mean, they haven't won the division in 30 years. The idea that they're favored to win the division. I mean, if they don't do it, 
it's actually going to be a disappointment. And I mean, you know, a disappointing season for the Browns is one in 15 or 0 in 16 going 500 should be something everyone should be thrilled about, but 500 is going to be falling short this year. So at least there's that. I mean, you know, I, I used to grocery shop on Sundays or, you know, do whatever else other than watch the games. Now it's kind of appointment television with all the talent that they have. So in that respect, I'm very excited to watch them. I just, they're probably going to need another year because they've got first time head coach and Freddie kitchens, two really good coordinators that I like quite a bit, but they still have to adapt themselves to the personnel. So maybe a transitional year. And then the sky would be the limit in 2020. If they get through this tough schedule this year and look pretty good at the very least, they're going to be pretty interesting. All right. So let's get going here with our favorite player futures. Adam and I are going to go through a few of our favorites here for you, and we're going to be using the odds listed at bettingpros.com. As I said earlier, that takes the consensus of the odds that are available in the market, and it also shows you the various odds that are available at a few different sportsbooks. So, for example, the favorite to win the MVP is Patrick Mahomes, and his betting pros consensus odds is at plus 550. But the odds listed at the various sportsbooks range from plus 500 on the low end to plus 600 on the high end at FanDuel. So in addition to consensus odds, we've also got consensus picks and we'll have them for you all year each week so like if 74 percent of experts are taking the browns to beat the titans laying five and a half points in week one that might be something that you want to check out there's a lot of good stuff over there and after the show you can go ahead and look around at all the various player props that are available that perhaps adam and i did not touch on here all right adam let's get rolling give me one of your favorite player future bets that are available yeah, I'll tell you what, one of them that I was looking at there and, and using your betting pros consensus line over there, and, and by the way, you guys are doing fantastic work over there, so kudos to you for everything that uh, you've been doing. I know you've got, obviously, the fantasy background, but now uh, moving over to the sports betting landscape, you know, congratulations to you guys for that. Thanks. Uh, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster at 11-1 to 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 lead the NFL in receiving yards. I mean, this one's kind of obvious when you think about it. You know, they don't have Antonio Brown anymore. Antonio Brown was targeted 168 times last year by Ben Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger, the most passing attempts in the NFL last season. I get it. Juju Smith-Schuster will get double coverage. He's going to get a ton of attention, safety help over the top, maybe some linebackers coming in under the zone, something like that. But still, I mean, this guy is an elite-level talent. He's playing with more confidence now after last season. I think he's ready to take that leap. And, you know, again, just based on sheer volume, you've got to like a guy like Smith-Schuster, who is, you know, the fourth choice on the board there at 11-1 to behind Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, and Odell Beckham, who's going to share receptions with a guy like Jarvis Landry, with a guy like David Njoku. It's hard to find a lot of guys outside of James Conner that are going to get targets in this offense. So Smith-Schuster, just based on volume alone, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, without Antonio Brown, that's just, you know, an enormous amount of targets. I think it was 168 from last year that are essentially up for grabs at this point. I don't really expect the offense to look that different in the preseason. They've been going after Juju uh, pretty hard when he did play. So I do like that one. He is the fourth, you know, worst odds, quote unquote. Um, but I agree. I think based on those odds, out of curiosity, what do you, what would that number need to be? For you to say, no, you know what? It's not worth it. It's at plus 1100. If it's at plus 900, are you in on it? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Plus 900, I think it's still worth a shot. If he's priced in the DeAndre Hopkins range or, you know, obviously down, priced down in the Julio Jones range, then, then it would be a no for me. Again, he's going to see a lot of double coverage as option 1A, 1B, 1C. I mean, he's the guy there for Pittsburgh. But, you know, I do think that the Steelers are going to throw the football a lot. So, again, a lot of volume there for him. Anything double digits is good for me. Uh, you know, obviously 950 or 900 to giving up a little bit of value. So, you know, as we always say here in this business, make sure you're shopping around for the best price too, because you may be able to get 12 or 13 to one somewhere, uh, you know, as opposed to the 10 or 11 to one. No, absolutely. And frankly, if you look at his odds on betting pros consensus, you can see that on FanDuel, they are offering it at plus 1200. So that is something where you, it's exactly right. You really do want to shop around. And that's that's one of the things. The consensus odds that we're using is just generally a summary of what is available. But again, you should shop around. Since you named a receiver, I'm going to stick with the receiver here. I'm going to go with much, much worse odds than you listed. And I'm going to go with Chris Godwin to lead the league in receiving yards. And that's at plus 9300. So we're in a a different stratosphere here. Uh, Juju's at plus 1100. This is plus 9300. And again, shop around because it's actually plus 10,000 on FanDuel. So that's 100 to 1 on your money. And so let me just name a couple of guys who have the same or better odds than Chris Godwin to lead the league in receiving. Corey Davis is also at plus 9300. 
Sterling Shepard is at plus 8,900. Alshon Jeffrey, who has not had a 1,000-yard season since 2014, is at plus 7,500. Now, I get it. Mike Evans is there, of course, and you're probably, most likely, going to need Evans to miss at least a game or two, although not necessarily because Evans is going to take a lot of the top coverage each week, so it's possible that Godwin finds room in the slot more. And Bruce Arians has basically made it clear he is not coming off the field whatsoever. I think Arians' offense is going to be really good for the passing game. And when you are getting 93 to 1 on your money, particularly with people who are around the same odds, for me, that's a good one not to put a ton of money on because it's 93 to 1 for a reason. I think it should be much better than that. But I think that's something where you can make a pretty good killing, even if you're not willing to risk all that much money. Yeah, I mean, I think that would make sense, too. Again, the obvious concern, as you mentioned, would be having to share those targets with, you know, somebody like a Mike Evans. But, I mean, Smith, Schuster, and Brown were sharing targets last year, and both of those guys still had enormous seasons. You've got a former quarterback there in Byron Left, which is the offensive coordinator. That can't hurt, you know, and, and there's uh, another guy I'm kind of looking at here and another one of those long shot types of prices, not nearly as long as a 93-1, to one, but a Tyler Boyd at 56 to one is kind yep. of interesting. You know, if you lose AJ Green and, and he's already out at least until week three, quite possibly longer, Tyler Boyd with the breakout season last year. Zach Taylor, the new head coach, is a quarterback's guy at heart. He's going to let this team throw. Now, I don't know if it's Andy Dalton all season or if it winds up being Ryan Finley a little bit too, but Tyler Boyd's a big target and a guy that you know, really came into his own last season when he got some opportunities. Maybe that's kind of cut from the same cloth as, you know, Brown and Schuster, where maybe a little bit of a passing of the torch, so to speak, to a guy like Brown. I think Taylor's going to love having that weapon. So that would kind of be my longer shot there at 56 to one. Yeah, I, I do like that one, too. I mean, the guys who are around him are, you know, Mike Williams, who, you know, that's that's almost certainly not going to happen, given the fact that Keenan Allen is there and Hunter Henry is there. McCall Hartman is around there. Sammy Watkins. I, I mean, you know, I mean, there's the Hill possibility, of course. But I agree with you, especially with the A.J. Green injury for at least the first three weeks is what we're hearing now. Um, that's really a, a good one for sure. All right. So let's move on then uh, to uh, our next bet. What's another one that caught your eye? something that's offering good value another one that caught my eye here and and this one's really not that far off the beaten path but i think it's still a really good price tag chris carson at 20 to 1 to lead the league in rushing yards i mean this is a guy that you know he missed two games last year still wound up seventh in rushing attempts you got to figure the seahawks offensive line will be better this year he was fourth in yards per game so not only is he getting a lot of attempts but He's moving forward. You don't get those negative carries out of him. Probably a little bit less of a timeshare here uh, after proving himself last year and you know, really proving himself kind of emerging from that group two years ago. I, I think this is a good one. You know, I, I think that you have to really protect Russell Wilson if you want to get to the playoffs there in the, in the NFC West. I mean, you're going to be chasing down the Rams. We all expect the 49ers to be better. Who knows what the Cardinals look like midway through the season if Kyler Murray kind of takes hold, but you know, Chris Carson, I mean, again, this should be an improved offensive line. And much like Smith-Schuster, you've got to look for volume when you're looking for these yardage props. And I think Carson gets a lot of rushing attempts this year. And you know, he's a guy that, uh, again, just moves the pile forward. And he's not going to get those one- and two-yard carries. He's going to get three- and four-yard carries. And those add up over the course of the year. Yeah. I love Chris Carson, and actually that leads, I'll, I'll name mine, because I have him but for uh, a different future, and that is him to have the most rushing touchdowns. And that's at plus 1,600, and it's basically for almost the entire, you know, you, you essentially took a lot of the analysis, but with the touchdowns in particular, he had nine last year. That was seventh best in the league, and that's despite playing only 14 games. And as you said, we know what this offense is going to be, right? The Seahawks are the most run-heavy team in the league. They run it about half the time. There's no reason for that to change, particularly given all the injuries to their receiving core. And as you mentioned, they want to protect Russell Wilson. They know where their bread is buttered. And again, he used to be a bit of a threat here as you got down to the goal line, right? I mean, he had six touchdowns in 2014, six rushing touchdowns. Of course, he had three rushing touchdowns in 2017, but last year he had zero. And I think that that's going to continue this year. And the best part is that when the Seahawks get down inside the five-yard line, they run nearly as much as any other team in the league. Now, the odds are not overwhelming. He's plus 1,600. That's the sixth worst. So, you know, the sports books are naming him as one of the favorite. Although, again, look around. It's plus 1,800 at FanDuel. But even at plus 1,600, I, I like that bet. I just think they are going to – They not only do they love to run for the reason that you said, and he was somebody who I thought of with most rushing yards as well, 
But I also think, frankly, the rushing touchdowns themselves, because of the fact that they are going to run so much when they get near the goal line and they're going to protect Russell Wilson. And they, it, Carson's the man. I mean, people kind of have been looking for ways to get away from him. They love Rashad Penny and everything like that. But it's Carson. I think he's as good a bet as anyone to win that uh, title for most rushing touchdowns. And again, I mean, you know, you're looking for opportunity. You're looking for a lot of carries. And, and obviously with any kind of rushing prop, you're looking for a good offensive line. And the Seahawks have that now. They've really infused a lot of talent into that group. We all know the damage that Tom Cable did, but you know, they've gotten much, much stronger there in the trenches. And you know, that's that's how you score rushing touchdowns. You're able to own the line of scrimmage. You're able to push that defensive line back, open up those holes, secure your blocks. And they did a really good job of that last year. And like we said, I mean, this is a guy who had a big year last year missing two games. And, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't even think he was really the unquestioned starter coming into the year. You are correct. There were still some some concerns, some reservations there from the Seahawks. But, I mean, he completely took that job and and pardon the bad pun here and ran with it. So (laughs) I think that's the right type of guy you want to look for. And, you know, the one thing I will say is that, yeah, you want to look for these long shot opportunities. But how often do you see these long shots come in for some of these different, uh, you know, individual player awards? Because the guys that are longer shots are either in timeshares or they're not proven starters. So I don't mind going a little bit lower with the prices. This is different than something like, you know, picking uh, championship futures, especially in something like college basketball. I'm okay with taking the fifth, sixth name off the board. Oh, 100%. I 100% agree with that. These things, I mean, they are there for a reason. It's really hard for some of these long shots to, to really see any conceivable path to, to win their uh, future. But, you know, for me, again, the, the long shot that I named earlier, and I know you weren't talking about that specifically, for me it was Godwin, mainly because I just think that those odds are way off. And really, when you're looking at larger odds, that's kind of what you want to be looking at. You know, when you, when you put the odds to me, it would be more like plus 6,000 for Godwin to lead. When he's plus 9,300, that's really where I think about going for the longer one. But in terms of Carson, yeah, he is not that far away from being one of the favorites to lead both in rushing yards, which was your pick, and rushing touchdowns, as was my pick. So I, I totally agree. You don't really want to shy too far away from the favorites because they are there for a reason. Well, so before, and obviously, too, sorry to interrupt, but no, obviously, no, too, the context is important here. I mean, gambling on a guy like Godwin makes sense because the Buccaneers probably won't be very good. They're going to be trailing in a lot of games. They're going to have to throw the football. When you're looking at running backs, like I love Joe Mixon. I think Zach Taylor is going to do a phenomenal job with a weapon like Joe Mixon. But how many rushing attempts is he going to get when they're trailing in a lot of their games? You know, he He's going to be more of a weapon probably out of the backfield than he will be you know, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. So that's an important contextual point you have to look at here too. That's why a long shot like Godwin makes sense. If you're looking at a long shot on a team that likes to run the football, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if they're trailing and they have no choice, then that's where you can rack up some of that yardage from a receiving standpoint. Yep, absolutely. All right, so before we move on to our next one, I do want to mention another one of our sponsors, Sideboss. Sideboss is a great site to hone your skills as a sports better with legitimately no risk because they're offering a free-to-play season-long NFL handicapping contest with a $50,000 in cash prizes. Here's how it works. You pick five games per week for all 17 weeks of the NFL season, and you can earn your title as the boss with a $15,000 grand prize. But the $15,000 grand prize is hardly all that's up for grabs here. Sideboss is going to be awarding quarterly and weekly prizes all season long. And if you go 5-0 and in any week, you're going to win some money. And even if you are the worst in the world at this, that is really fine because the last place finisher earns the title of Donkey Boss and gets $1,000. And if you're feeling a little more confident as the season goes on, that's great because Sideboss will also be offering pay-to-play games throughout the season. Just go to Sideboss.com, click to play the 2019 Pro Football Pick'em Contest, and enter the promo code BETTINGPROS upon sign-up. That's Sideboss.com, promo code BETTINGPROS. All right, Adam, let's move on to your next player future. Yeah, let's give the defensive side a little bit of love here. And and again, I mean, this isn't going to be earth shattering. This isn't going to be, you know, get lucky and hit this and and wind up retiring. I mean, look, when you look at the context of the defensive player of the year, there's one guy that very much stands out to me, and it's J.J. Watt. I mean, look, the Texans probably won't have Jadavian Clowney, right? So who's going to rack up all the numbers? Well, it's J.J. Watt. And you look at the narratives, because this is an award, this is not based on you know, this is not based on counting numbers like the other stuff that we've been talking about. This is based on how people vote. 
And if J.J. Watt has a monster year without Clowney, the narrative is going to really grow of look at the year this guy had without you know his his partner in crime on the other side. He's already won this thing three times. The media loves, really everybody loves J.J. Watt. I don't know how you can't love J.J. Watt. If it's a popularity contest type thing, like some of these you know voter-based awards are, J.J. Watt has a leg up on a lot of the field that's out there. Yeah, it's only 7-1, to one, but again, I mean, a, a, the Texans team probably without Clowney that gets a massive year from J.J. Watt, I mean, it, the fact that he's not at least the second favorite is kind of mind-blowing to me. And I know Aaron Donald is an elite player. I know Khalil Mack plays in a very big market, and everyone's very impressed with him. But J.J. Watt at 7-1, to one, I, I can't pass on that. I, I really think what sticks out is you said it. Look, Donald, he, it's I, I'm fine to put him in sort of a tier by himself, right? Because he is incredible, of course. But the fact that Khalil Mack is plus 350 while J.J. Watt is plus 700, that, that makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, to me, maybe, maybe I could see Mack being slightly ahead of him in terms of favorite, but especially with the situation with Clowney. And at this point, I mean, what is the likelihood that Clowney is going to be on the Texans this year? It's got to be, what, less than 25%, right? I would think so. I, yeah. That- 20% might even be high. Yeah, I mean, he's he, there's all sorts of trade rumors going on. He looks to have no interest in reporting, so he could be gone. So I, I think Watt um, is really, really an interesting pick there. And you went defense, okay? And I, I was thinking about it, but I probably wasn't go there. But I'll go defense, too, then, for, for another one. And, you know, again, it, it's a little bit more of a long shot. Um, and this is who's going to lead the NFL in sacks. So it's probably, again, going to be Donald. But he's at plus 375. And I personally... I like J.J. Watt at plus 800, and I like Khalil Mack at plus 850. I would take any of those guys. But I like a little bit of a longer shot, and that's Chris Jones, because he's at plus 2,200. And the thing about him is he was third last year in sacks. He had 15 and a half. So the fact that he's at plus 2,200 right now for the Chiefs, I just don't get that. I I mean, of course— I think, you know, spending some money, and this is sort of where you don't need to go away from the favorites necessarily. I mean, I would be fine to put money on Donald and Watt and Mac at their prices. But for me, you know, Chris Jones, plus 2,200, given the fact that he had 15 and a half, I know it was, you know, a little out of character for him. But I think to lead the league in sacks, he's a guy, given those odds, who I would kind of be willing to take a risk on. And this is something that comes up because, again, you know, there are a lot of fantasy players, probably a lot of people listening to this podcast are not all that sophisticated betters. But betting on the defensive side of the ball, there's money to be made there a lot of times. You know, Adam just just pointed out the odds on what to lead for defensive player of the year are really out of whack when you consider where Mac is. So it's a a place where you can take advantage of some odds. And for me, again, I don't think Chris Jones is going to lead the NFL in sacks necessarily, but at at plus 2,200, again, when the other guys are more at uh, plus 800, plus 850, and especially Donald who's at plus 375, to me, that just seems out of whack. And I think there's, there's a better chance than that, that Jones is going to be able to lead the league. Yeah, I think that you're on the right track with that one too. And, and, you know, you kind of look at the context of, of the defense there and, and it, it's one of those where, you know, they have to be aggressive. They, they have to try and take their shots, get in the backfield because, you know, the back seven's not phenomenal. I mean, it, it's okay, but it's not great. It's certainly, I would consider, in the well into the bottom half of the league, maybe the bottom third of the league. So you've got to be aggressive. You've got to get back there, try and get after the quarterback. That's kind of what you're looking for here again, you know, talking about context and the importance of it. You know, I look at a guy like, TJ Watt. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just biased with the Watt family here, (laughs) but at 50 to one for the most sacks, Pittsburgh gets after the quarterback. They've got good speed rushers on the outside. They were tied last year for the most sacks in the NFL. I know they gave up some points. They were also fifth best in yards per play allowed on defense because of that aggression. They're not going to stop doing that. So TJ Watt at 50 to one makes sense. And maybe a little bit of Brown's homerism here, but I'm not looking at Miles Garrett because I think Miles Garrett going to get a lot of help with that tackle, whatever side he's on, whether it's a back or a guard in the blocking scheme, he's going to open up a lot of things for Olivier Vernon. And at 50 to one, a guy that's had double digit sacks before this may be the career resurgence that he needs to be able to play opposite a guy like miles Garrett. So a couple of 50 to one shots there in Vernon and, and the other Watt, which I don't mean to downplay him that way, (laughs) but a couple of longer shots there. This is one where you can take a chance with the sacks with some of the longer prices because 
you're the premier guys in the league, they get double and triple teamed, whether it's tight end help, a running back, whatever else. You can take some shots here on the guys that are just fortunate enough to play on the opposite end of the line. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to analyze it because, you know, Garrett at his odds, I don't love it. But I do think that that's sort of the way you need to think about these. And as you said, these are the types of bets in particular that you can go a little bit with the longer odds because I think things like that, they're much more situational and they can come to fruition. All right, let's go on to your next best player prop bet. What do you got? All right, I want to take a look here at Offensive Rookie of the Year for a second because I think this one's really interesting. I mean, you've got a guy in Kyler Murray here who's very obviously the favorite and deservedly so. I mean, you know, being the first overall pick, you kind of come with this certain level of expectation. But, I mean, look, you don't want to take too much away from the preseason. It has not been a good look for Arizona. It has not been a good look for the Arizona offensive line. There has to be some value somewhere else in this marketplace. And to me, I think it's David Montgomery at 12 to 1 for the Bears. Three of the last four, four of the last six offensive rookie of the year's running backs. And when you think about this position, you want young legs. It's a very short prime that you're looking at with running backs. Montgomery, it's already obvious the team loves him. He's going to get a lot of touches. And some of the worries about other running backs, you know, sort of in his same price range, like a guy like Miles Sanders for the Eagles, I think he's just going to share too many touches with everybody that's there. Whereas I think Montgomery is the focal point of the running game and also has pretty good hands out of the backfield too. So I think David Montgomery at 12 to one for the offensive rookie of the year is, is a pretty good look, um, you know, because the quarterbacks, it's hard to keep that job, you know, especially if you've got a veteran back up there. And usually if you're a high pick as a quarterback, you wind up going to a bad team. And sometimes it's hard to put up numbers with a bad team. You don't have a good line. You don't have the skill guys. Montgomery has all of it there in Chicago. And they'll also be a team that should have some leads this year for him to rack up some numbers. So I like David Montgomery at 12 to 1. I really like that, actually. And again, you mentioned it with the quarterbacks. The guy ahead of him, you know, who is more favorite is Dwayne Haskins, who's at plus 1,000. I would much rather have Montgomery at plus 1,200 without a doubt. And, and just to be clear, Again, this is where one of the things I like is that we give you the consensus odds, but we'll show you what odds are available in the market. And at DraftKings, he's actually at plus 1,600. So if you can get in on that, that's a great bet. And just to show you how what those odds are, Murray is plus 175, okay? And we're talking about Montgomery at plus 1,200. So, of course, Murray is and should be uh, the large favorite. But other than that, yeah, I agree. The fact that Miles Sanders basically has the same exact odds as he does doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. So I think Montgomery at plus 1,200, and in particular, if you can get on DraftKings and get him at plus 1,600, I think that's a great bet. So I really like that one. I do think, you know, of course, Murray is and should be the favorite. But I do think that in the end, he's basically a much better pick than the guys who are going right around him. Uh, for me, my next one, I'm going to go, you know, you mentioned Carson to lead the league in rushing. I'm going to go with somebody else. And the odds, I think, think are a little worse, I believe. Yes, they're uh, Dalvin Cook to lead the league in rushing, and he was at plus 2,400 in the consensus odds. So these are the 10th worst odds, and I think he's a much better shot than that to win the rushing title. And now he needs to stay healthy, which has always been a problem. So that's obviously the first factor. But if he does, I think he's going to get a massive workload here. We've talked about Alexander Madison and Mike Boone are fine, but I really don't think they're going to necessarily eat into his workload like Tavius Murray necessarily did. You know, the Vikings want to run the ball a ton. They showed that at the end of last year. Cook is the perfect back for Gary Kubiak's zone blocking scheme to the extent they're implementing it. He's an offensive advisor. He's not the offensive coordinator, but they're obviously going to use his scheme. The defense should keep Keep all the games close. And again, that's really the thing. You're thinking about context. They're going to keep the games close. Cook is going to stay on the field for the majority of the time. They're not, they're unlikely to, they're not going to get blown out. So you're not going to have to worry about them throwing all the time. And if they do get a lead because their defense is, you know, so good that they, they shut the other team out or anything like that, then Cook is going to be on the field because they're going to be running more later in the game. And you don't want to get too excited about the preseason, but that run that he had showed you exactly what he can do when he gets even a little bit of space. So, you know, other than the injury concern, concerns at plus 2400 he's a guy who i would gladly take at that price yeah that's the big thing is the injury concerns and and look we could say this about any guy you know and and that's why one of the guys i'm kind of thinking about you know in terms of leading the league in in receiving yards is a guy like travis kelsey because if tyreek hill goes down then what you know then who's the other guy that gets targets probably nobody you know is it sammy watkins maybe is it mccall hardman maybe you know demarcus robinson i don't know it's gonna be kelsey and that's the thing with a lot of these individual player props is that, you know, you've got to kind of look at them and, and judge some of that injury risk that's out there. 
Obviously, we know Dalvin Cook has a high injury risk, but it's a boomer bust kind of play. If he plays 16 games, you're absolutely right. He's going to be up there probably in the top two or three in rushing yards. So that's what you hope for. And look, I mean, it's it's the one thing that we can't predict. You know, it's the one thing that we don't know about these individual player props is if these guys are going to stay healthy. If Cook does, I certainly agree with you that he's going to be up there near the top of the class. Yeah, and, you know, again, look, you know, injuries are a thing, but they're a thing for everyone. And, of course, Cook is, quote-unquote, more injury-prone because he's suffered injuries two years in a row. But, you know, with his amount of upside, given where he's going, you know, I I just I I don't see James Conner, for example, having nearly the same shot to do it. I I don't really see a path necessarily. I mean, I see a path, I guess, but I I don't really see it as being remotely likely, given even factoring in the injury list, that Conner, who basically has the same odds is going to be able to finish there so let's finish up with our favorite mvp bets but before we do i do want to remind everyone that we've got just a couple of days left in our august contest where we're going to be giving away a signed christian mccaffrey panthers helmet from our friends at pristine auction all you need to do to be entered into the contest is to leave a review for the podcast on itunes or stitcher and send a screenshot of that review to contest at bettingpros.com that is it at the end of august which is just a couple of days we're going to randomly select a winner and we'll announce it and email them and you will be the winner of a signed Christian McCaffrey Panthers helmet. That's a really cool thing. And again, we are a relatively new podcast. There are not a zillion entries into this contest. So go ahead, last couple of days, leave a review, send it in to contest at bettingpros.com. All right, Adam, let's get to our final one. Who is your best bet for MVP? Yeah, and, you know, just to the injury point real quick with Delvin Cook, I mean, it's not like we're betting you know, full units on these types of things. I mean, it's 24 to one, you know, it's not like you're playing a minus 110 or something like that. You know, you're, you're betting a little bit to win a lot. So you can, you can embrace that injury risk a little bit more knowing that, you know, you're not putting a lot of money out there. And that's true of, of all of these different player props, including the one I'm looking at here for MVP with Matt Ryan, you know, Matt Ryan consensus 23 to one number out there. See him as high as 26 to one 35 to seven touchdown interception ratio last year. You know, but he's got a different offensive coordinator here in Dirk Cotter, who knows him very well. This is a good match, I think, for Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is a better player, and the cast around him is much better than it was from 2012 to 2014 when Cotter was the offensive coordinator there. Look, he's going to be up there for the most passing yards. He throws the football a lot. He's second, actually, on the board in terms of most passing yards at plus 450. But then he is somewhere around eighth or tenth in the market for MVP. So if he's going to put up all these passing yards, why wouldn't he have better odds for the MVP? You know, obviously it's important to win a lot of games. I mean, for better or worse, the MVP generally tends to be a team award. And we see that in Major League Baseball all the time with Mike Trout, who should win it every single year. Of course. But, you know, I think Matt Ryan, he's got plenty of weapons. He's got an offensive line that should be better. He shouldn't get sacked 42 times this year. And he's got an offensive coordinator who knows what he's capable of. And more importantly, it's an offensive coordinator who's not Steve Sarkeesian. So I think Matt Ryan makes a lot of sense here in that 23 to 25 to 1 range. No, I, I agree with that. I think that's a great pick. My my MVP guy is is right around the same age. It's a little bit better odds. And that's Phillip Rivers at plus 2,000. And it seems a little weird because he's getting up there in age. And his his numbers are, you know took a little bit of a dip. But he, is, uh, he was more accurate last year, I believe, than he had been in his entire career. I think, you know, if the Chargers can stay focused and if they can overtake the Chiefs and if Rivers can finally put up, you know, one of those really, really big years, I think that he's got a shot. And again, the thing about MVP is that it's really, it's it's not one of these things where who is going to lead the league in rushing. It's somebody who's, it's a subjective thing and, and people fall for narratives necessarily. And I think the idea of Rivers at this stage in his career winning an MVP, overtaking sort of the young younger Patrick Mahomes right around that same thing, plus 2000, I think that is 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 going to be somebody who's, you know, got a, a solid, decent chance. I do like Ryan. He was actually my pick. I didn't want to say that because you had it because I think that, that that is the guy who, given his situation, is probably offering the best odds. But for me, I will go just a little bit higher. He's the guy right above Ryan at Rivers at plus 2,000. Again, it's really, it's the situation. If he has a big year and he builds on that, you've got Hunter Henry back now. You've got Mike Williams still developing and taking that next step. They're probably not going to be running it quite as much considering the Melvin Gordon situation, unless he comes back. You know, Eckler's going to do more as a pass catcher out of the backfield. I think he's going to throw a lot. I think they have a great team once again. And if they do win that division, I think there's a narrative built in that I think uh, can can win it for him. And I think people would sort of enjoy giving it to him, given that I, I believe he's entering his age 38 season. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, look, this is, you know, this is a Chargers offense that just two years ago was tops in the NFL in passing off and passing yardage. You know, the fact that Phillip Rivers is back with Kenny Wisenhunt, I think he loves that. I think those two just have such a great rapport together. And again, as you mentioned, a correlation there with the idea that Melvin Gordon may not be there. And also, this is a good defense, a, a negative play, ball hawking type of defense. He may get some short fields, too, to pad those numbers a little bit. And look, the, the thing about it is this. He's efficient. He's reliable. He's responsible. Is he going to put up huge Patrick Mahomes numbers? Probably not, but he's not going to turn the football over. He's going to have a high completion percentage. And if the Chargers get some of those short fields, he'll rack up the touchdowns too. You know, especially if Gordon doesn't come back and he's not a red zone option running the football for them. So I, I like that one as well. Yeah, especially, you know, with Mike Williams being the red zone threat with Hunter Henry back. Again, this isn't to lead the league in, you know, passing yards. I, I don't really think that that's a, a realistic possibility at this point in Rivers' career, but I do think that he could have his best season. And I think, again, it's a lot of it is around the narrative. If he if he does what I think it's possible for him to do, and I think probably Melvin Gordon has to hold out for a while for this to really come to fruition. But if he does, I think it's certainly uh, a possibility. So let me just see if I can remember enough to uh, sum up here. It started with you like uh, Juju Smith-Schuster to lead the NFL in receiving. I believe that was at plus 1,100. And you also mentioned Tyler Boyd, who I think was at plus 5,600. You liked Chris Carson to lead the league in rushing yards, which was at plus 2,000. You liked J.J. Watt as Defensive Player of the Year at plus 700. David Montgomery as Offensive Rookie of the Year, and that was again at plus 1,200. And then you liked MVP Matt Ryan at plus 2,300. Uh, for me, I liked Chris Godwin at plus 9,300 to lead the league in receiving yards. I liked Chris Carson plus 1,600 to lead the league in rushing touchdowns. I liked Chris Jones to lead the league in sacks at plus 2,200. I liked Rivers at MVP at plus 2,000. And I liked Dalvin Cook to lead the league in rushing yards at plus 2,400. So we got a lot of different opinions there, but for the most part, we were generally in agreement on what we liked. I really liked all of Adam's picks. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I couldn't disagree with any, and my MVP pick was Matt Ryan. So to the extent you want to go in on that, uh, you've got both of our backing. But that's going to do it for today's show. Adam, I really enjoyed having you on. I really hope we can do it again during the season. Absolutely, guys, anytime. I want to again say thank you to the sponsors of today's show, PlayMGM, where you can place your first wager of up to $100 risk-free on the PlayMGM Sports app when you use our promo code Harris, and SideBoss, where you can participate in their free handicapping contest and win a ton of prizes. Just go to SideBoss.com, use the promo code BETTINGPROS. We'll be starting on two episodes per week next week as we begin to break down the weekly game lines. For now, enjoy your last few days without real football, my friends. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> 